If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been going over, um, it's actually February, is our church's um, kind of anniversary month. Um, and, and in the next couple of weeks, look forward to, we might be doing something just to say happy anniversary to the mission and the, and the work that God is doing here um, as we go. And that's half the reason, too, we're having that brown bag um, uh, time after the church where you come and bring a lunch and just hang out with us because it's just one of those celebratory times where we can just hang out and get connected and, and just say hallelujah and hear stories. Hear stories about what God is doing. I love, don't you just love hearing stories? We're so connected to that, aren't we? My story and your story. And, and honestly, that's how God connects with us, is in his story. And he connects with our story. He connects with our history. That's awesome that we have a God that intercedes throughout all of history with you and me, with our forefathers, with their forefathers. And he never ends. He never stops because he loves us. There's something to be said about that. And so as we as a church, we just want to be that church today that connects with the community around us, that grows in faith together and serves Jesus. That's what we're looking at today, is that third pillar that our church really just is held, is, is held up by. If it's connecting and growing, it's also serving. And we feel that as the most important part of being the church, it's not these walls, right? Because these walls may come and go. I've heard of churches meeting in parks. I've heard of churches meeting in, in, in people's uh, living rooms, you know? In other countries, churches are met, meet wherever they're not going to be persecuted. Because the church is you and me. The church is the people that house the Holy Spirit that does something awesome with the community around them as they grow together in faith and in turn serve Jesus together. So today, what we're going to look at is, is something really simple. I mean, if you guys were with us again for the last couple of weeks, we, we looked at the, um, how God wants to connect us um, with the shoes of the gospel of peace. And then, and then last week, we looked at the idea of growing in faith together like the light that God has called us to be as we grow in faith together. Well, in, staying in tune with that, I have another simple object that I believe is, is very... Um, it's very normal to you and me. We probably see it all the time. But I'm hoping after today you get a whole new understanding of it. And it reminds you of what it means to serve Jesus. And what is that object? Well, some of you have noticed there's a chair behind me here. So that's what it is. We're going to talk about that today. So if you're looking at your, at your bulletin, we have a take-home truth. And our take-home truth is super simple. It says, Jesus calls us all to serve by sitting with those in our sphere of influence. Um, back when I was a youth pastor for, uh, for over 10 years, I worked with youth. I worked uh, with young adults and youth. And some of the best things about working with kids was being able to serve with them. And, and one of the things that we used to do, um, we used to go to a place called the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Any of you have ever heard of the Tenderloin? It's not an area that you particularly go to for a travel destination. They don't, you know, you go to the, the travel agency and you say, hey, I would love to go to the Tenderloin in San Francisco. They'd say, um, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> you don't want to go there. It's not a place people on purpose go to. In fact, what was funny about it is we'd be in there serving and you'd see like this 
couple maybe from Germany or somewhere, and you could tell, they, deer in headlights, look, like, where are we? How did we get here? You know, like, and I would actually go, I felt it was my duty to go to people. Sometimes, you know, we're just, we're from Iowa. We don't know what we're doing. I'm like, no, no, if you really, this isn't probably where you want to be. Why don't you just go a block or two that way and you'll find, you know, the Amber Crombie store and all that. Um, because in downtown San Francisco, there's a, literally a square mile. It's a mile by mile area. And there's over 40,000 homeless people and poor people that live in this one area. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. There's over 120, about 130 uh, liquor stores just in that mile-by-mile mile area. That, that tells you something. I mean, you could literally just accidentally go like this and hit a liquor store. Over 90 massage parlors in this area alone. And we're not talking the kind where you go in and, oh, I just have a tension right here. No, we're talking some bad stuff going on there, prostitution and whatnot. Oh, and by the way, there's not a single grocery store. Not a single grocery store. Now, there's markets that happen to be liquor stores that maybe sell some Lunchables or something to that effect, but no actual stuff. So you see this, this, this area is nuts. And we would stay there, and I remember the first time we went there, we got there in the day, and they kicked us out at night and said, now go serve. <laughs> Get out there. And I had all these kids with me, and it was, it was, kind of, it was definitely uh, sink or swim kind of, kind of service. And, and I remember the, the, the coolest I think the best part, my best experience, was being homeless for a day. That, that was really a good experience because that helped us to understand what these people go through. But they would do that. They, what they'd say is, okay, we're going to make a meal today. What you're going to do is you're going to make a sack lunch. But you're going to make two sack lunches. We go, oh, oh okay, well, two, all right. Uh, so I give two, eight. No, they said, no, one's for you and one is for the person that God is going to bring into your life that you're going to go and eat with. And the interesting thing is we, we, we have a tendency to look at homeless people as they're sitting on the streets and we forget that, that like that's their home. And, and I dare you to do this. It's just knock on someone's door as soon as they open, just walk in and sit down in their living room. Because that's what it's like when we just walk up to them. We're in their living room. I mean, really, we're, this their space. I mean, yes, it's a public space because that's all they've got, but we're in their space. And so what they said was, you know, ask if you can sit with them. Ask if you, you know, as they're there, just come alongside and say, hey, would you like to share a meal with us? And most often than not, they would say yes. So we say, well, can we sit with you? So we would sit down, and I'll tell you, there's nothing more disarming than walking along somebody as you see them. Because we would stand and do other things, and it was kind of intimidating to have, you know, just a couple people standing there talking to you while they're sitting down. But when you sit next to them, and we ate a meal together, we were able to pray for them. We were able to hear their stories. I mean, stories that you wouldn't believe. I was in, I was in four tours in the first, I mean, you name it, these stories that would come out. I lost both legs from diabetes and, I mean, just crazy stories that you're like, wow, I used to be, I used to work in that building over there. The big one up top where I was making, you know, six figures and, I mean, you name it and crazy stories. We would never have got there if we didn't sit next to them. And so this is why I believe Jesus calls us all to serve by sitting with those in our sphere of influence. What I'd like to do today is I'd like to look at the book of Mark, chapter 2. So if you could do me a favor, just stand on up and we're going to look at, at some simple verses here. And this is the coolest thing because, again, what we're seeing is how Jesus Christ came and walked. And I don't think you can get much simpler than that. Because this is the one that we, that is our Savior. 
So let's look at what he did. Verse 13 says this simply, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Now as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting on the tax collectors, or at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law, now who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with scum? Now I just put that in there, but that's literally what they're saying. Why does he eat with scum? On hearing this, verse 17, Jesus said to them, it is, is it not the healthy who need a doctor? No, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All right, you may be seated. Okay, so there's some things going on here, and I want to look at this today. If you bear with me, we have a few things that we want to go through. If you like taking notes, it helps me focus, and so I I just put that in there to help you focus as well and look at these simple things that we're looking at. The first thing that I would really like to point out is that Jesus rose from his chair or his throne in heaven so as to serve and call all people. See, Verse 13 says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach him. You see, this is the core message of Christianity. The core message of Christianity. Every other religion will say, this is what you need to do to appease God. To, to be God or to get the God's attention. Only Christianity says, God came down to sit with you. God left his throne on high to become a servant to serve you and me at the cross. This is the core message. See, when Jesus came here, he was not coming here to relax. In fact, he even said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I got up to go and to reach all people. He left the comforts of his throne in heaven and actively sought people out. He became the bread of life so that we might never be hungry again. See, Jesus is constantly at work to serve those around him. He's constantly at work. And by the way, that's, that's all people. Don't we have a tendency to, to go, yeah, it's great in theory, right? Everything's great in theory sometimes, as long as it doesn't affect you. <laughs> As long as it doesn't hurt my pocketbook, right? It doesn't long affect my calendar. It doesn't long affect my comfort level. But see, Jesus goes to all people, even ones that didn't like him. I love this. In verse 14, it says, as he walked along. Sometimes we look at that and we take it for granted, don't we? But we, we have to understand something here. Here is the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, walking amongst his creation. He left his chair in the heavenlies so that he could serve in the dusty streets of Judea and the gutters of the earth below. You see, this next part, it says, He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. 
He saw him. And then he says, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi, well, he got up and he followed him. Seems like a really, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're like me but when I was young and, 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 and you, you know, you've read this many times. You're like, eh, that's a really cool story. You know, Jesus walked along, sees this dude, and he says, hey, come and follow me. And the guy says, oh, sweet, the rabbi's calling me. So he grabs his stuff and he just goes. And, and to some extent, it's easy to do that without really getting the culture of what's going on. And so I just want to point this out. See, according to the Mishnah, which was like the cliff notes to the Torah and the Pentateuch, okay? It, it was like the cliff notes or the understanding. I shouldn't even say cliff notes. It was because it was like that big. This was, this was all of the understanding from every rabbi who has been to come, who was the best of the rabbis, said this is what the law truly means. This is what the Old Testament, this is what God is really saying when he says, um, when he says do not murder, or, or, or when he says in Isaiah to, to shelter the homeless and give food to the hungry. See, so this was that understanding. This is called the Mishnah. And the interesting thing about the Mishnah is it says in there, and many rabbis, this is what they followed. They said, it was okay to lie to a tax collector. Now, as a Jew, you were not allowed to lie. That was a horrible thing. But in the Mishnah, it said, you can lie to a tax collector. Why? Because it says... That a tax collector isn't a human being. See, a tax collector is a, is a dirty dog. And so it would be like lying to your dog. Anybody lose sleep about lying to your dog? I'll be home soon, buddy. And you walk out, you don't lose sleep in that. Maybe you think, oh man, my dog's home by himself. I feel bad, but oh well, it's a dog. That's what they said about tax collectors. Also, Levi would have been considered a traitor to the Jewish people. See, in that day, Levi would have been collecting taxes for Herod Antipas. And Herod was a puppet king. He wasn't even a real Jew at that time. And so, so all the real Jews, all the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these guys, this Herod, is, he's, a, he's a turkey. I mean, he's just a horrible guy. And, and these tax collectors, they're, they're taking money to pay him so he has money. Oh yeah, and... They're collecting taxes for this Caesar, for the Roman Empire, which we really can't stand. These guys stink. They oppress us. They, 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 they just beat us down and they take everything we have. And so as a tax collector, you're, you're taking money from your own people to give it to people that aren't your own. And this is how a tax collector made money. See, Caesar would come along and say, I want nine out of ten fish from every person in your town. So the tax collector would go, okay, and they would gather ten. Because the only way they got paid is by taking extra. Because it's not like Caesar went, oh, okay, here's your part. No, they didn't care. So what did the tax collectors notoriously do? Take too much. Because that's what they got paid. And the more they took, the more they lived better. So they were really hated. I mean, you talk about hate. They were wealthy. They supposedly had it all. The best clothes, the best houses. But Levi woke up every day knowing that he was hated and despised. Women would spit on him as he walked by. Men would sneer and mock and taunt him as he, as he strolled by. And children would say cruel things to him wherever he would go. His own family probably would have disowned him. He wouldn't have had any family left. I mean, he wasn't even allowed to go to the temple. He wasn't even allowed to worship the God of his mom and dad. 
And here comes Jesus. Ton of people behind him. Is this the Savior? Is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? The one we have prayed for? The one that God would send? The Holy One of Israel. And what does he do? He makes a beeline to scum. Do you understand? I, I, I love what Philip Yancey does when he says, The Jesus I Never Knew. It's a great book. I recommend it. But Philip Yancey says, I probably wouldn't have followed Jesus with the scandalous things that he did. Because I like to think of myself as a really good person and a really good Christian. And why would I hang out with scum? And Jesus went to the gutter. He went to the tax collector. See, he got up out of his throne. He got up out of his chair to go to Levi to serve all people. And this is the scandalous thing. He, he calls the tax collector to follow him. See, he breaks all tradition and protocol. It's one thing to, 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 to walk by a tax collector. It's a whole other thing to actually talk to him. To actually say something to a tax collector, unless it's just saying, lying to them because you have to or whatever. But to actually go out of your way as a rabbi, a respected member of society, to go to this person and say, follow me. You see, from the early age of, uh, of Jewish understanding, children would come into the synagogue every day and they would learn Torah. They would memorize Torah. And by the time you were 12 years old or 13 years old, you had to have the whole Old Testament memorized. And if you were really good, then you would be taken apart from everybody else and you would go memorize more Torah. You would memorize the Mishnah and you would memorize all these things. And if you were really good after that, about 16 or 17, you would go to a rabbi and you would petition them and say, Hey, I'm legit. Look how much I know. Here's my references. Here's my resume. Let me follow you. And the rabbi very much so would say, I'll think about it. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And they would sit them down and sometimes, you know, you, you guys ever a fan of the Kung Fu series in the old 70s? You know, and they have the, the, the guys out there and they're standing in the rain. I mean, that was a common practice back in the day. You want to follow me? I want to see how good you are. That is what the rabbis did. And you have Jesus, the Messiah, the Holy One, the one we waited for. And what does he say? He goes to the scum, no resume. And he says, follow me. He calls him. That's nuts. That is nuts. By the way, I'm so thankful that he got out of his throne. And he comes to me. And he comes to you. And he doesn't give up. Because we have a, we have a Genesis 1 God. Not a Genesis 3 God. What do I mean by that? See, in Genesis 3, we have the fall of man. And many times we look at man and we say they're scum. No, that's what sin does. See, when God created us, He created us and He said it was good. He knows who each and every one of us are. And He says, follow me. I believe in you. And with my spirit and through my power, we can partner together for the kingdom of God and serve that's what he does here. He calls Levi. D- don't miss this here though. He calls us to leave our chair and gives us a new name. See, as he walked along, he saw son of Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Here's Levi just sitting, doing his thing, being a part of who he is, right? 
See, we know that Levi, son of Alphaeus, actually is Matthew. He gives him the name Matthew. And Matthew writes the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. You see, he gives him a new name. He's sitting in his chair at the tax booth, and Jesus frees him from it. You see, Jesus comes to us in our chair. We might not be a tax collector. We might not be sitting at the booth of tax collectors, but maybe we're sitting at the, at, at, the, at the chair of a broken home. We know that our lives are a product from those decisions that our parents made so long ago, and every day we're comfortably aware or uncomfortably aware of the chair that we are stuck in. Maybe you're stuck in the chair of neglect and abuse, and the effect this has had in your life is something you are aware of all too frequently. Some weeks it's better, but then other days you can barely rise out of the chair like it's a weight of a thousand pounds keeping you in it. See, some of us sit in the chair of addiction or self-loathing or just trying to make ourselves happy. Our own selfish thing. That's not really working for us. You see, here's, here's Levi. He's got all the money and he needs. But we know... That doesn't make you happy. And Jesus calls him from the chair. Can I just say safely that every single one of you has a chair that God wants to call you out of and He wants to give you a new name. Amen? Look look what He did with Peter. Peter didn't make the grade. That's why he's a fisherman. Every Jew would have understood. He's out fishing? Oh, he's not good enough to be an actual disciple of a real rabbi, especially the rabbi. But Jesus says, put down your nets. Follow me. He calls him. And he says, you will now be Cephas. You'll be the rock which I build my church on. Look what he does to Saul, who's on the road to Damascus, who is literally a terrorist, killing Christians, attacking, persecuting. You talk about scum. And Jesus says, you're Paul, not Saul. And you are the apostle to the Gentiles. He gives him a new name and he calls us. What is he calling you from? What is the name he wants to give you? See, what this shows us is really simple. Again, if you're taking note, Jesus calls us with an unconditional love. See, this is hard for us to get because we can kind of think, oh yeah, unconditional love, that's great. But we really don't experience it. Even with, many of you are married. And so you can, you can understand what I'm saying here. To, to get married, you really have to meet those conditions to get that person to truly love you. You get what I'm saying? Because if you, if you walk in and you just, you see somebody and you go, oh, I want them to marry me, you can't just be who you quote unquote are. Like you, you, you know, you, you just roll out of bed in your sweats and you don't even take a shower and you go to that first date, they're gonna be like, who is this guy? You know? You, you've got to meet some conditions. And to some extent, that's the world we live around, right? That's, that's the world we live in. It's a very conditional place. You need to do good at work to get recognized. You have to do these certain things for, to get and receive the love of, of just anything in the world. And we, we kind of get this. Now, now with my wife, I feel we're at that unconditional. But it wasn't that way when we first started. I mean, before... You see, Jesus, God, is the only one that can love us unconditionally. Let let me just say this. Jesus is the only one that loves us 
and calls us on the basis of what someone else does, meeting the condition that we could never meet. He went to the cross. It says that he went to the cross while we were still yet sinners, while we still were at war with him, while we still, quote-unquote, hated him. He died for you and me. That is the unconditional love of God. And many theologians believe if we can just wrap our minds around the unconditional love of God, we would never struggle like we struggle today. Because it would change us radically. There's nothing you need to do, but I've got it. No, you don't. But if I just go into church, all if I just read, if I just... No, you can't. He loves you no matter what. It should radically change you. That kind of grace should blow you out of the water. He pulled me out, gave me new name. How about you? He sends us to serve the world by sitting with those in our sphere of influence. This last part is, is really simple. He, he sends us to serve the world by sitting with those in our sphere of influence. See, the best way to look at this is, is not to say what would Jesus do. It's really to look at what Jesus did. Right? <laughs> because sometimes I, I find myself in this like, ah, oh, man, I really don't know what to do in this situation. But the truth is, we, we have a Savior that did it. Yeah, but you don't understand. This guy at work, he's being really crazy. Or this thing over here is like, yeah, Jesus dealt with that. What did he do? You see, in verse 15, this should hold a lot of significance here. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. This is, this is scandalous. <laughs> see, just saying this, in first century Palestine to people about Jesus. Yeah, you got to follow my Savior. He went to the cross for you. And, and let me tell you a story. There was this time and he went to the house of a tax collector. People would have been like, what? I got, no, I can't, mm, I can't follow this guy. That's scandalous. That's unconditional love. But see, isn't, isn't unconditional love always scandalous in a conditional world? See, for a reputable, reputable rabbi of the day to even talk to a tax collector was unheard of, but to go into his home would have literally made him a tax collector as well. In the Jewish mindset, when you opened your home and, or you went into the home of someone that was that big of, a, of scum, a dog, you would become a dog and you would forever not be known as a rabbi anymore. In fact, people would look at you and go, oh no, you went into the house of a tax collector. You're no longer a rabbi. I should never listen to you. You're not legit anymore because you're tainted. Did you go through the rite of purity? Did you know? Maybe he didn't know it was a, as a tax collector. No, he knew. And he went. And he wasn't just hanging out with Levi. See, Levi's friends, what does it say? They were other tax collectors and sinners. This, this isn't your church crowd, people. This is like Bernie Madoff and his friends. <laughs> I mean, this is like hanging out to the Jew, get me on this, Hitler and the leaders of the SS. They would have said, this, no, mm-mm. You're not just hanging out with him, you're hanging out with them. This is nuts. Here's Jesus, though, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who created all things and sustains all things by his very will. And he left his chair to sit with a bunch of sinners See, why would anyone 
go to a punk junior high kid who's stealing from the church, doing all these bad things. Why would anyone sit with them? Why would anybody sit with them? Because Jesus did. And I'm so glad somebody did. I want you to really think about this. If you're here today, it's not only because Jesus got off His throne in heaven to serve you, it's because He serves you today, or maybe He did in your past, through His people, as they got off of their chair. Because you were in their sphere of influence. Look at what they say, the Pharisees. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Basically what they're saying is, he can't be the Savior because he's sitting with sinners. He can't be. I love this. Let me just give you this last part here. See, the truth is that Jesus calls us to serve as he served. Amen? This is the hard part. But he, but he calls us to serve as he serves. When we do, we will sit with sick people who are not safe. Jesus calls us to sit with sick people who are not safe. Because see, if you almost want to say, Jesus, that's not the way to sell Bibles. Jesus, that's not the way to get people into your church. See, what you got to do is you got to go hang out with the people that everybody likes. There was actually that when I was a youth pastor. Get the cheerleaders in your church. Get the, get the, the, the quarterback. Get all the popular kids. Then you can grow your youth group. No, Jesus didn't do that. He went to the scum. He went to the sick people. This wasn't safe. How many people walked away from Jesus after this moment? I said, I, I can't handle this. His words, it seems like he's the Savior, but, but he's, he, he told a tax collector to follow him. See, Jesus always gets to the practical and what does this mean today, mean for us today? Are we living in such a way that we're sitting next to those who are sick? You see, are you sitting with those who are, that are not just hungry for food, but for a Savior that they don't know yet? Are you sitting with a pregnant teenager at my father's house, sharing about Jesus who loves them more than they will ever know? Are you sitting with your neighbors that maybe drink a little too much, or a little too loud, or, 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 or maybe they do things that your grandparents wouldn't agree with? But you're sitting with them because Jesus would. Are you opening your home to those that have never truly experienced what, godly, what a godly home should be? One of the saddest truths today is that one out of two, 50% of under 18 kids in church will never come back to church. We're losing 50% of our kids. If you love Jesus, you will lose half of your kids. Who they will say, I don't. One of the main things they say is, if you want kids to, actually, your kids, to love Jesus, they say a big factor is, are you serving together? That's a huge factor. See, I've had parents, and believe me, I was a youth pastor for a long time, I had parents that came to me and said, you know, we just don't have time. Hey, or, or why don't you take my kid, but I got, I got things I got to do over here. Yet I would remind them, hey, hey do you make time for their math homework? Do you make time for their science project? Do you make time to what, brush their teeth, take a shower? Do you make time for them to have soccer practice or, or practice an instrument or dance class? 
You see, how is it that we can have time for these things, but the things of the eternal kingdom, we go, "Mm, not today. You see, Jesus was so specific, wasn't he? This this is why we serve at the Blessing Center, by the way, because there's a lot of other places we can go, but the Blessing Center says, bring your kids, serve with them. That's why we go there. I've just got some pictures up here, which I think are great, because it just shows us and our kids serving. That makes a difference. See, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was sitting in that chair, you drew up another chair and sat right by me. You weren't afraid. And I wasn't safe. But you loved me. I love this man here, Francis Schaeffer. He's one of my favorite writers. You talk about a guy that was a genius. One of the most influential writers. He was considered the next C.S. Lewis. But you know what I really love about him? Is he didn't just write theory and say, hey, love those who are unlovable. He actually did it. And he had this place called La Abre. And I just want to read to you a little bit of it. He says this. He says, don't start a big program. Start personally and start in your homes. And by the way, this is labeled the church at the end of the 20th century. He wrote this in the 70s. We're a little farther from this now, but it still matters. I dare you in the name of Jesus Christ. I dare you. Do what I am going to suggest. Begin by opening your home for community. How many times in the past year have you risked having a drunk vomit on your carpeted floor? How many times? It's a costly business to have a sense of community. It's a costly business to sit next to those that are sick and not safe. It's about the first three years of La Abre, that's the, the, the place he had, that all of our wedding presents were wiped out. Our sheets were torn, holes were burned in our rugs. Indeed, once a whole curtain almost burned up from somebody smoking in our living room. Blacks came to our table. Orientals came to our table. Everybody came to our table. It couldn't happen any other way. Drugs came into our place. People vomited in our rooms, in the rooms of Chalet Les Melas, which was our home, and now in the rest of Chalet of Labri. You see, you, you don't need a big program. All you have to do is open your home and begin. All you got to do is sit with somebody. We have girls come to our homes who have three or four abortions by the time they are 17. Is it possible they have venereal disease? Of course. But they sleep in our beds. How many times have you let this happen in your home? How many times have you had a drug taker or a drug dealer come into your home? Sure, it is a danger to your family and you must be careful. But have you ever risked it? If you don't risk it, Why are you talking about the drug problem? Why are you casting condemnation on people and not opening your home up and loving them? In the name of Christ, you should try to help somebody in this horrible situation. What I love about it is he did it. He didn't just write about it, he did it. That's what we mean by serving in our church. We don't just do it because it's another check on our list. Maybe Jesus really meant it when he walked it and lived it. Amen? I want to challenge you right now. I mean, as you close your eyes and you, you bow your heads, I mean, I know this is, this is hard. <laughs> because believe me, I want to be safe. 
I think about the pastor, Mo- Moises, in Nigeria, or was it Uganda? He was a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor in Uganda. He just lost his life for the, Christ- for, for the cause of Christ because he went in with bleach during the Ebola crisis and was trying to give it to people who were going to die. And he was just trying to love on them, and they killed him. You see, where did we ever get the idea that following Christ was safe? Where did we ever get that idea? That it was easy? It frees us from the shackles of earth and the chairs we sit in, but we got to rise up with Him and walk and sit with others that are not safe. That's what we want to do with you at this church. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you've, you've really made it simple. It, it truly is not a hard thing to comprehend. One of the smartest men I've ever read, he could have rationalized it and said, oh no, I write books. I tell others to do it. Lord Jesus, you could have come down and said, now you go and do this. No, you said, follow me. And you sat with scum. You ruined your reputation for the sake of calling me, for calling us. May we do the same. May we remember this. And in remembering this, Lord, we serve you. Lord, we just want to we just want to connect with our community, grow in faith together and serve you. Help us. And if there's any of you here today, as the the ushers come on forward, if there's any of you that are just struggling, maybe you don't know this Jesus. You've never met the Jesus that that got out of his his throne and came down and came to you. My hope is that you'll stick around and you'll meet this Jesus who's standing here today. But secondly, if you are a follower of Christ, he's called you for a reason and a purpose. And my hope is that you go with him serve in your sphere of influence it's not going to be safe but man is it what we're called to do I just want to challenge the members of our church those that have said this is my church this is my home we're, we're hoping to just that's what we do with this tithe we take this money and we, we give it to, to programs for the kids to help places like my father's house We want to serve. So as a church, that's what we do. So we just take this tithe now. and Lord, we just ask that you would help us. We put it in your hands like the loaf of bread that the little boy brought and the fish. And we say, multiply it. Help us to reach this world. To get out of our seats and sit next to those that are lost sit next to those that are the last and sit next to those that are the least. We love you and we thank you. Bless my brothers and sisters and if any of them need prayer, if any of them need to know you, Lord, they would stick around and seek your face and we would just pray for them and help them in your name as you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen.